Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Team Success. I have the very special privilege, adventure, (laughs) opportunity to hang out with one of my really, really good friends and mentors and clients and coaches, Jill Young. So Jill, I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have you on the podcast today. And I'm super extra excited because we are talking about your newest book, one of several, called The Thinking Advantage. And I'm just going to read the whole title because then we're going to launch into this. The Thinking Advantage, Four Essential Steps Your Team Needs to Cultivate Collaboration, Leverage Creative Problem Solving, and Enjoy Exponential Growth. Yes. So Jill, thank you, thank you, thank you for writing this book. It's phenomenal. It blew me away. You asked me to be an early reader and I basically sent you back a raving testimonial. Thank you so much for having me. This is kind of an exciting day for me. Not kind of, it really is an exciting day for me because I've listened to you for so long and you've coached me for so long in the strategic coach program. So it's just really exciting to be here to just have a little adventure. We're going to riff on this book and see what goodness we co-create together, but it's a real treat. So thanks for having me. Thank you. So I know you as a client, as an EOS implementer, but there's a lot more to Jill than that. So can you just briefly, you'll do a much better job of introducing yourself than I ever could. So what should people know about you? What should people know about Jill Young? You're right. I'm a certified EOS implementer. I'm also the head coach of EOS Worldwide, but I have this little side passion of writing books. And I had a client the other day, he said, how do you keep pumping out these books? Because this is my third. And I said, well, I'm going to share a secret with you. I write to burn off the crazy. (laughs) I am a thinker. I have lots of thoughts in my head. And one way to make sure that I can slow down and calm down is to just get them out on paper. Actually, there's a chapter in the book where I kind of talk about my writing process of how I come up with ideas and and where they come from. And I've got a fourth one percolating right now, just like itching to get out. And I finally just had to put the writing time on my calendar and then it's quiet for a little bit because it knows it's going to get out at some point. So that's, you know, I write to burn off the crazy. (laughs) I don't think I've heard that explanation before, but a lot of authors and writers, I know that's exactly what they do. I know I've got writing time book tomorrow and I'm so excited. (laughs) Same deal, same deal. So name your other two books just so that people know about them. Sure. The books are written in a series. I call it the Advantage series because aren't we all looking for just a little bit of advantage? And I'm a coach. So when people hire coaches, they usually want an advantage. So it seemed like a really fitting title for the series. The first one is called The Earning Advantage. And this is really for you, the entrepreneur, to hand to someone working on your team when they ask for a raise. And, you know, lots of us feel angst when people ask for a raise, but what it does is it puts the power in their hands to actually earn a raise. So that's the first book. And I think I wrote that about five years ago, and we just republished it last summer as the earning advantage. So that's been refreshed. The second one is the courage advantage. And that book is near and dear to my heart because what it really describes is what happens in teams. And I know you're all about teams and team success, but it's what happens in teams when they just don't get it, when they're striving for excellence or they're striving to hit a goal. In my case, it was specifically born out of they were really trying to implement the operating system, EOS. And what is really happening in those teams when it doesn't work? So lots of people like to talk about when it does work, but this is what's happening on a team when those goals they're trying to strive for just don't work. That's called the courage advantage. And then here's the third one, the thinking advantage. Awesome. Well, I've read them all and I love them all. And they're so empowering for both team members and for entrepreneurs. If anyone's not familiar with EOS, it just stands for the entrepreneurial operating system in case anyone's wondering. But the thinking advantage I have to say is my favorite so far. (laughs) And I was so impressed. And let's just kick off because there's so many good things. You've got a four-step process. We're going to go through that. There's just so much wisdom in this book. And you and I both have a very similar passion for working with fully engaged, intelligent, striving people. 
And your books are helping to create exactly that, for which I am grateful. But there's a particular circumstance that provoked you, the story you tell at the very beginning of the book that literally had me laugh out loud. Can you share that story? Because I think it's sort of epic, and I think it will set the tone for the rest of our conversation. Sure. Well, this is where the crazy starts, Shannon, (laughs) because I usually have, there's a question in my mind, or I usually have an experience that I can't quite answer. I just, I can't quite answer what is happening or I can't explain it away. And for this particular book, a team of mine had just put together their foundational tools of EOS and they rolled it out to the whole company and they thought everybody was going to be super excited about it. And they did it the right way, put a lot of good effort and thought into it. And one of the supervisors, when the entrepreneur said, hey, what did you think about this? And he said, well, it looks like you're asking me to do a whole bunch more work. And I don't get paid enough to think. Shannon, when he told me that, my jaw dropped, my soul almost dropped. I grew up loving to work. That was maybe a family core value, if you will. So I just couldn't figure this out. How could somebody say they don't get paid enough to think? Mm-hmm. And when I calmed my own brain down and did some self-coaching of my own, I thought to myself, well, what if we replace that word think with something else? So what if this guy said, I don't get paid enough to paint, or I don't get paid enough to work on a computer, or I don't get paid enough to drive a forklift. What if it was something else? What would we do? Mm-hmm. And as entrepreneurs, well, we would teach them that skill. We would help them learn that skill. And that's when I thought, ah, well, are we teaching our people how to think? And that's how the book was born. That is such a brilliant question, because I know that for people that were raised like myself to think, or you can't imagine not thinking, it's kind of like, oh, people don't think. (laughs) But how to teach people how to think? It's like that's trying to lift up the hood and go, how does this thing actually work? It's a brilliant question. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a genuine question that you answer. By the way, you make so many references and you did so much research all the way back to Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. You know, there's so much context that you set around this. But we're no longer in the industrial age where stand at this machine and do this for umpteen hours and six days a week. We live in a different world where thinking is absolutely essential and required. And as you and I were talking about before we hit record today, to my mind, in an entrepreneurial company, you can't not think because bad things will happen. It's required. And that's one of the things I think I really love about an entrepreneurial company is the opportunities to think and to contribute and to create and to reflect. So I think it's, to my mind, it's an essential. But if you ask me, how do I teach someone to think? I don't know. (laughs) So you have laid it out, which I absolutely love. So there's four steps. We'll go through each of them, but let's go through the four steps. And probably better you to talk about it than me, because I thought it was very constructive to know how many, in what order, you know, even that's illustrative right there. Well, yeah, the four steps, they absolutely do come in order. As I was putting this book together with the publisher, we considered, is this book four books, one for each step? There's a lot of meat in a handful of the steps. Do we extract this step and just do a book around this? And when I kept pondering and thinking all of that, it's like, no, the four steps have to go together. And the four steps are an algorithm. So, you know, an algorithm is just a series of steps that when you follow it, you get the same result every time. Now, I like to caveat that definition because I've taken some liberties with it. When you're working with humans, (laughs) When you're working with humans, you get the same result every time, most of the time. (laughs) We're working with humans. So almost, almost all the time. But here's the four steps to really teach people how to think. The first step is we need to invest in teaching. We need to invest in teaching. And I used the word teaching very deliberately. I did not use the word train. So training kind of comes from that old school factory worker and just going to show you how to use this machine. But when we teach somebody something, 
they really get it. Mm-hmm. They really get it. That's what we want them to do is we really we want them to understand the why and the context. And there are lots of entrepreneurial companies who just say, I don't have time to teach my people. I don't have time to train. I have been there before. I have done that before. I have just thrown people into jobs before with very little to no training. Then I'm frustrated because what happens is when you don't do the first step, teach, Mm -hmm. then the second step of the algorithm, which is coach, is very, very difficult. And for a boss, especially an entrepreneurial boss, you get a million questions a day. And you don't feel like you can coach because you're just telling them what to do over and over and over again. And some entrepreneurs are calling this training. We've called it on the job training before. We've called it on the job training. And experience is a wonderful way to learn. And experience is absolutely a part of coaching. But if we don't invest in the deep training, just giving them the information that they need, kind of following that 80-20 rule, then the coaching just becomes very tedious. And at some point, bosses and entrepreneurs get frustrated and we get tired of people asking us questions all the time. So that second step is coach. And we really want to engage in asking a lot of questions and slowing down. And this is where they really start to engage their brain cells. I like to use a little story or a little analogy here. It's, you know, imagine that you have trained somebody You've trained them deeply. They know what they're doing in that kind of 80-20 principle. But then they come to you and say, you know, hey, boss, what lever should I pull? Well, if I'm the boss, I just want to kind of get on with my day and I want to give them the answer. I know what the answer is. So I just say the green one and they go away. But if I say that to them, then they immediately think, oh, now I know where to go for my answer. I go to the boss all the time. But coaching really involves if they ask that same question. You know, I would ask them, what lever do you think you should pull? What did the training manual say? What do you think would happen if you had pulled the red one? So it's just a slowing down. It's going slow to go fast. But those are the first two steps. And just because we're going to touch on all of them a little bit more depth, do the third and fourth just so we can tease people to the end. Sure. <laughs> The third and fourth steps, you teach and then you coach. The third step, and Shannon, this is your favorite, is don't rescue. Mm -hmm. Don't rescue. So once you have coached people and they really understand what to do, a lot of times bosses and entrepreneurs, we want to go do it for them. Just this once, I'm going to do it for them. And we think we're being nice. And sometimes we're thinking, well, I'm saving the client or I'm going to do it the right way and they won't mess it up if I do it. So we really don't want to rescue our people. So it's teach, coach, don't rescue. And then the fourth step is return and reflect. And this is the big one that gets missed, but it has all of the power behind it to make sure that all of the thinking that they've done through this algorithm really sticks. And this is just where you ask them to talk about it, write it down, share what they learned. Coach is really good at this, returning and reflecting. That's what I love to do every time I attend a session. Mm -hmm. Totally true. So we're going to do a slightly deeper dive into all of them because you've got some incredible wisdom about each step and like how adults learn. But when someone actually goes on this path, and I know that you coach your clients on how to do this. So if someone was doing it the old way, so they're just (laughs) basically pull green, you know, or answer questions all day and feel like the dreaded open door policy. So if that was someone's before and after they've implemented this algorithm, which works most of the time with humans, which works all the time, most of the time. So what's the result? How does it shift the team members' lives and feeling about being at work? How does it shift the world for leadership and for owners? What's the difference that this makes? Shannon, you and I talk a lot about this word, collaboration. Mm-hmm. We like that. That's one of our favorite words. And what I find is that when people really start to think, and when you have sparked this in humans, then they want to think more. It's mm-hmm. a little bit addictive in our brains. When we start to have pattern recognition, we get a little dopamine shot in there. That encourages us to want to do this again and again and again. 
So what I find is when people really start to think, they start to offer ideas. When they start to offer ideas, other people are sparked by ideas. And the true benefit is that collaboration. And there's just this magic that happens. Napoleon Hill calls it the mastermind effect when two minds come together. Or imagine a team of five people coming together and they're all thinkers. We're just gonna come up with better solutions. And really the end result for the entrepreneur is that your teams are creating solutions and they're not coming to you for the day to day. That's what we want. What does that free us up to do as entrepreneurs? Well, then we're collaborating with other companies, you know, creating free zones. We're not in the business trying to solve all these problems. We've created thinkers around us and it frees us up to live our four freedoms, really. Brilliant. Well, and this is what, you know, we finally realized after about 20, 25 years that what we were doing with implementing all of the, you know, tools on real time system, et cetera, and helping people get that freedom of time, money, relationship, and purpose was that we were helping people having a self-managing company, but you can't have a self-managing company unless the people in it are self-managing and they can't be self-managing unless they're thinking. That's right. I believe it a hundred percent, hundred percent. Exactly. Okay. So that's a pretty compelling reason to stop and start teaching people. <laughs> that's right. And that's the first step. It has to be the first step, that teaching, that deep teaching. We have to slow down and do that. Mm-hmm. If you try to jump in the algorithm and say, well, you know, I just expect my people to come to me and they have already learned what they need to learn. So I'm only going to hire people with degrees and assume they know everything about the topic. They just don't. They don't know the way you do it in your company. They don't know the nuances of the clients. They don't know specifically how you use the certain machines. So we absolutely have to start with that teaching. And then all of the other steps almost feel effortless and they're fun. But man, if you try to jump in without teaching, then that's when the other steps just get We spend dread time (laughs) on those other steps. I love it. So just to help people get off in the right foot, and because if they get this step right, the chances of the rest of it working are strong. And if you don't, then good luck. (laughs) It's really what you're saying. You really get into the eight elements of adult learning. And you're a teacher, by the way. So you have some (laughs) firsthand experience with not adults doing this too. And it's interesting because adult learning is very different than, I think the term is pedagogy, which is child learning. I could be wrong on that, but close enough, it's learning. And working with adults, there's a different pattern and you cannot make the same assumptions. Mm. So let's dive into some of those because you have some very astute points in the book that I would love for people to know. All right. Well, I'll go through a couple of them that I felt were most exciting to me, fascinating and motivating. The first one that's in there, and number one, these eight elements of adult learning, this comes from some research that I've done and I put them together. I pulled some different things. So it's not you know, totally out of my own brain. There are a lot of just observations, but the first one is adults learn best with a little bit of structure and a lot of autonomy. So if you're thinking about teaching your people, you might right now be thinking about, oh my gosh, I've got to write a curriculum and you know now I have to find a teacher that's the best and I have to create all these worksheets and tests. And I just don't think that's the case. A little bit of structure and a lot of autonomy. So here's just an example. There's a workshop that I teach called the Activator Advantage. And in this, One thing that we do is I open up a menu of topics. And after I've taught just a few quick things, I say, here's 23 topics. Where do you want to go from here? And that's a little bit of structure. I haven't said, what's your problem? You know, that's (laughs) that's not enough structure at all. But where's your pain point? Where do you want to go right now? And they have a lot of autonomy. This is a lot. This is one reason why I love coach because mm-hmm. we come to coach and we have a little bit of structure. Dan will teach it for about 10 minutes. And then that worksheet is mine, right? That worksheet is mine to go where I need to go with my own brain. So it's very engaging. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect description. 
Yes, this is B to a T. Adults learn best when they have a specific need to fulfill or real world problem to solve. If it's not relevant, it's a nice to know, not a need to know. And I don't have enough time for that. Thank you very much. That's right. And Shannon, not only do you not have enough time for it, your brain loves conservation of energy. And your brain knows it's running it through its filter. Do I need to know that right now? No, I do not. And it will go in one ear and out the other. In one ear, out the other. There's a fun example that happened with one of my clients. It was probably about a year ago. They were going through a sales tax audit. And in the sales tax audit, I know it's always fun. In the sales tax audit, they found that, huh, some people hadn't been doing sales tax right. And there was going to be some consequences, some financial consequences. Well, those people that weren't doing this right, and they knew they had financial consequences because they didn't do it right. They had fines. And of course, that affects bonuses and all of that stuff. When the controller said, hey, we're doing a training on proper sales tax next Wednesday, they were all for it. Three months previous, when she had tried to train them, nobody showed up. They had 100 excuses. But it just proves the point that when we have a specific problem to solve, that's when we're most ready to learn, most ready to learn. Shannon, I know you guys run on EOS there at Strategic Coach. And I often tell people who are considering running on EOS, I basically ask them this question, are you ready to learn? Are you having a specific problem? If you're not, all of my teaching, all of my coaching it's just not time for it, right? It's not going to stick if there's not an active problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I didn't formally mention that you are our EOS implementer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear, everyone. We're running on EOS with Jill's incredible guidance. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to coach the coachable, Shannon. <laughs> yeah, that is such a brilliant point because, you know, we have an expression about coaching. You have it, basically, you've just said the same thing for EOS. People can need it. They have to want it, (laughs) right? You're not coachable until you see that pain or you see that struggle or you're like enough already. I need to fix this darn problem. Then it's like you'll learn super fast and it gets absorbed into the bloodstream really quickly. If it's just a, well, maybe I sort of see the point, then that's not really a coachable opportunity there. It's going to be wiped away during sleep. It does. Your brain cells, they just shrink microscopically and all of that cerebral spinal fluid, it washes through your brain cells and takes anything out that isn't relevant right now because your brain has too much in it, especially entrepreneurial leadership teams, right? Like we've got so much going on. Yeah. As we're talking, I'm thinking, this sounds like my daughter. She's learned this way too. (laughs) She's not quite an adult yet, but she's working on it. Yep. So you have some other guidelines, like adults learn best when they can apply learning right away. So does that mean don't have a time delay between, like it can't be weeks later that you apply this, right? Exactly. So just going back to that sales tax audit, you know, if we said, you know, we're going to do the training now in October, but you don't really need to apply this until next May. That's just the wrong timing for adults, wrong timing. So as close to the event as possible is great. Again, because your brain is trying to decide what information do I keep? If this is coming up right away, I'm totally focused and I'm going to go ahead and keep that. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. And you have a bunch of others, including learning by doing and opportunities for reflection. Yeah, well, you mentioned opportunities for reflection. That's another one that I think is maybe overlooked Mm -hmm. a little bit in adult learning. And again, Coach does this so well with its workshops. Is this 30 years now, Shannon? 30 years you guys have been? Over 30. Over 30. You guys have nailed it. But a lot of times when we think about teaching, we also think about the teacher doing all of the talking because I have to get the information in the learner's brain. But adults... We need to talk about it. We need to reflect on it. We need quiet time to think. So if you're thinking about putting together just that teaching step at your company, make sure in those training or teaching sessions that there's lots of space for thinking and talking about what they're learning too. Mm. That's important. I feel like because you've laid these out and the other ones that I'm going to be more conscious of the steps. Sometimes I'm doing them 
intuitively or instinctively, but then sometimes I don't, or I'll try and jam too much in, which is always my danger. So I'm like, oh yeah, it's not actually going to sink in. (laughs) So you've, you've just helped me become a better teacher and coach. So thank you for that. So there's lots more just to tease everyone with that. But I think you make a really good point here. A reminder about humans, we are efficient beings. We find the easiest route from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And point B is most often having our own needs met. So that's who we're working with here. You can't bypass that. Sometimes entrepreneurs that I work with, just like in the example from the very beginning, when that supervisor said, you don't pay me enough to think. You know, I personally got irritated with that statement and, you know, the entrepreneur was personally offended and it hurts our feelings if somebody tries to shortcut the process or find the easy way out. But I find when entrepreneurs really understand this principle about humans and just how we're biologically designed, it takes the emotion out of it. And we say to ourselves, oh, they're just finding the fastest way from point A to point B. And that way right now is me because I'm answering all their questions. I even have this phrase that I, when somebody, you know, a leadership team member boss is complaining about their people, I'll ask them, I'll say, who trained them to do that? And you just kind of let that question sit there in silence. And it's me. I'm pointing to myself right now. That's exactly how I was. It still sneaks in where I think I've trained my team to rely on me to remember these things. So I really appreciate your observation. If we just think about these things a little more consciously, we'll incorporate them. Mm -hmm. And you've got some really great recommendations. I mean, not only do you lay out what's true for adult learning, you actually tell people how to go and do it successfully. So can you just mention a couple of the eight approaches? Unfortunately, we could do the entire book, but that would take about three or four hours. But mention a couple of things because you really do set it up beautifully. Sure. So a couple of things that might be helpful that you could even do right now, and this is kind of fun, but teach an algorithm. That's what I'm doing right now. The algorithm is teach, coach, don't rescue, return and reflect. But you're simplifying those steps for them. So that's one way that you can do this. Another one is, especially for adult learners, is to assign pre-work. So before they come to the teaching session, get their brain working already. Assign them to read an article, to answer three questions. My favorite one is I send out three questions. The instructions are just think on this page, almost like word vomit. Don't worry about sentence structure. All I want you to do is just think and write your reflections on these questions. It just gets their brains working. So those are a couple of my favorite approaches when Mm. we're applying this to adult learning. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's so much more too. I mean, you will leave this book so much smarter. (laughs) Well, thanks, Shannon. Thoughtful. It's true. No, I'm like in love with it, as you can tell. Now let's move on to step two because there's some incredible great things. So coaching, and you already illustrated a great example. Teaching is, you know, here's what we're talking about in the whole process. But the coaching is really, you need to, you know, pull the green lever if this is what you want to have happen. But then the person comes to you, and this happens so many times. I mean, in fact, this is probably what spurred my focus on entrepreneurial teamwork is entrepreneurs were so frustrated with working with their teams and the teams were so frustrated working with the entrepreneurs. And I've been, as far as I'm concerned, trying to bridge that gap and you're a collaborator with me on that. Thank you for giving me extra tools to share with people. But it's interesting because coaching is often, sometimes I find the question is the question, like Gary said, they're like, well, which lever should I pull? And it's interesting because sometimes it's not that they don't actually know, it's that they're not confident they don't want to be the one accountable if they screw up, if they guess wrong. So therefore, by asking you and you giving permission, right, there's a whole lot of dynamics. So then no, that's my definition of coaching. But, you know, coaching is asking great questions is what Dan's always said. So how does the coaching phase fit in here? Like after someone's been taught and they kind of know or 80% should know or do know, talk about coaching. Why is this step so critical? So this is the critical step because this is where we really engage the brain cells. This is where the brain cells wake up Mm. until this time they're asleep. 
or just kind of going through the motions, going through the motions. So I love your example. That person maybe did know that they were supposed to pull the green lever, but they weren't confident. If they made a mistake, they didn't want to blame it on them. And by you, the boss, giving them that answer, we just missed a beautiful chance to engage their brain cells and talk about that and move that person forward. So my little definition of coaching is just helping people become their best. And if you as a boss are overlooking those little chances to help them think and help them be their best, then you're holding yourself back too. You're holding yourself back too. You know, this, what is coaching is so, I am a coach. So I feel like, you know, gosh, I should probably have a good handle on it. But if teaching is the science, coaching is definitely the art. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain amount of intuition that goes into it. I had a team member on one of my teams, maybe just six months ago when they read this book, they said, you know what? When I just give somebody the answer, pull the green lever, yep, that's right. She said, my brain cells are asleep too. But if I say I'm going to engage in coaching, then I first have to wake up. I have to wake up my brain to know what question to ask. And that was a really great aha moment for me. Are you the boss? Are your brain cells awake at work? Or are you just on autopilot too? You know, putting out fires every day. How much time do you spend answering these questions and putting out fires? There's a lot of people that that's their number one title, chief firefighter. Oh, that's brutal. I love it. But the other thing about coaching I find, and by the way, this is to slow down to speed up. And it's for those of us that move fast, which is both you and me, that can be a challenge. And I know I'm speaking to lots of other fast moving leaders on this call. But when we actually do that, there's something incredibly fulfilling. I mean, the point about it wakes you up too. Brilliant point. But there's something sort of magical when you see people go, oh, you know, and you talk about the aha moment and it's like, yes, we share a brain now. <laughs> yes, there it is. Do you find that too? It's just very satisfying. Oh, it's very satisfying. And at some point, somebody had to choose to engage in the conversation. So if I say, what lever do I push? And you tell me the green one, that is not a conversation. That is just a quick exchange of words, right? Or an instruction maybe. But somebody has to decide, ah, ding, ding, I'm going to turn this into a coaching conversation. And I do have teams that will say, oh, but that takes so long. That takes so long. I like to just do an experiment. So usually this is happening while we're in session. And I'll say, choose an issue from your issues list. And they choose an issue. And I'll say, okay, tell me what's going on. And just because of, you know, the art of coaching, we can get it solved in two minutes. So coaching does not need to take a long time. Sometimes it's just one good question. It's just engaging the brain cells to where they kick in and think. And then again, of course, once they kick in and think, they'll want to do that again. Yes. I mean, this teaching and then coaching step, following it up with questions, you know. So if someone's like, I actually have no clue. I forgot my my teaching. Mm -hmm. Then you kind of probably know you have to go back to the teaching phase, right? Exactly. Sometimes coaching is just diagnosing. Right. Yeah. It's just diagnosing where was the gap in the teaching? Humans don't remember things the first time they learn it. You know, do I need to pair you up with a buddy? Do you need to take that course again? Here's a great book. Reminds me where we keep that process. We have that written down. Yeah. Sometimes you're just pointing back to teaching as well, which is still engaging those brain cells. Mm. Again, I could talk about coaching for the rest of our time together and you have the coaching, coaching magic matrix. You've got all sorts of cool stuff in here, but let's go to, as you said, my favorite one, by the way, it's my favorite also, cause I probably the worst at it. Let's be clear, which is don't rescue. And I'm a big fan, as you know, of Cy Wakeman, you know, she doesn't phrase it quite the same way, but the whole point, is, Dan Sullivan is like, he said, I will let people fail. Yeah. And like, he's probably the champion of this, of anyone that I know, because they don't do it again. (laughs) You'll only fail once. He's willing, he's got a capacity. And also he's a particular 
mindset and Colby profile and other things, he will not rescue people and he never has. And I've known him for over 30 years or almost 30 years, I should say. So I have models, but I know that I like people and I probably like to be liked by people and it's so hard not to rescue. So please teach us and coach us on not rescuing. (laughs) When we talk about the step of don't rescue, what we're doing when we do this well is we're using the power of the brain that we know gets addicted to winning. So we get addicted to winning. We get addicted to success. We get addicted to feeling accomplished. And that's actually what's going to keep this thinking going. So when you rescue your people, so Shannon, so if you're my boss and I said, what lover am I going to pull? And you said the green one, that's not technically rescuing. What rescuing is, is when you say, oh, it's the green one, but you know what? Just this once, let me pull it for you. Mm-hmm. And bosses, you guys, we're doing this all the time because we're nervous. We're afraid. Yes. We're not like Dan. We're like, no, I don't want this to fail. We think that if this person fails in this, you know, the writing of this project or the presentation to this client, that's just the worst. We don't want to fail in the company. But when we do that, we take away the chance for this person to have some success, to have some wins. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't win in that one place, there are going to be some lessons that they've learned. And when we talk to them about the lessons that they learned, that's a win. Spending time with us is a win for them. Feeling like boss, you know, my leader is encouraging me to go out and try this on my own. Those are huge feelings. And I go into it in the book, but those are huge chemicals that we can take advantage of in the body biologically to get our people addicted to winning and to thinking and to being successful. That's fascinating. So from a leader's standpoint, I just want your take on this. Are there sometimes when the risk is too big? Is there any time where you're justified? I'm sure you get this a lot in rescuing. I'm sure if someone's life was at stake, obviously, but what else? So Shannon, this question comes up so often that I actually created a tool for it. The tool is called the fire department tool. Yep. It's the fire department tool. And if you think about a fire department, just on the surface, what do we think a fire department does? In our mind, they're out there you know, racing around in the truck and squirting water on the fire and putting out all these fires and rescuing people and pets and saving people. That's just what we think on the surface. But if you really look at what a fire department does all day long, most of the time, they spend their time in prevention. They're visiting places of business to make sure that the sprinklers are working and that the fire extinguishers are appropriately charged. They're issuing permits. They're issuing fines of people that aren't following the permits. They're educating people on how to prevent fires. That's what they spend most of their time doing. So what we want to do in using the fire department tools, we want to be like the fire department. I'm going to give it to you in three easy steps. When there is something that you know is a legitimate fire, right? And that's the first thing you got to think about. Like, is this thing really on fire or can I let this person try and fail if they will? But you know, you know, if something's on fire, as an example, I had a leader who said they were laying the concrete and this was colored concrete. It was beautiful. It was custom concrete. And the supervisor said to this leader I was talking to, he goes, oh my gosh, it's the wrong color. That is oh so freaking precise. And the leader said, add this chemical, it'll fix it. He had to rescue or it would have been a million dollar mistake. He rescued, he told him exactly what to do. He did it himself. The floor was wonderful and it dried beautifully. And that happens. And in that case, he absolutely had to rescue. And then what? And then what? So step one of the fire department tool is do the rescuing. Just do it. Just take the task right out of their hands. Do it for them. Call the client for them. Just do it. I know you're going to do it anyway. (laughs) But step two is you have to get that issue on an issues list. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the tools that we use in the entrepreneurial operating system. And this is just a list 
that you and your team share where you take all of your ideas, barriers, obstacles, opportunities, anything that's on your mind, and you put it onto this list that everyone can see. Then you're going to get some pushback on this because in this story, that supervisor said to that leader, that's not an issue. The floor is done and it's perfectly fixed. That's not an issue. And the leader in his wisdom, he said, it is an issue because I had to do it and you didn't know how. I don't know that he said it exactly that way, but it's still an issue. So just like that fire department goes back to the scene of the fire after the fire has cooled and they investigate, they say, how did this fire start? What could we recommend to the family you know, or the business owner next time? You know, was it an electrical thing? Was it arson? Was it, we have to go in and dig, dig, dig to find out what the real issue was. And then we just run it through that IDS pattern. This is what we teach you in the entrepreneurial operating system. You identify, you discuss, and you solve it for the long term. But the trick to making sure this fire department tool works is you've got to get it on the issues list. And you got to push through that pain of your people saying, that's no longer an issue. We fixed that a week ago. It's not fixed. It's not fixed. And if you'll do that a few times, people start to know that, oh, if I'm rescued, we're going to come back and we're going to solve this for good. Mm. And I think actually you just raised a brilliant point, which is that if the leader, entrepreneur, leader, what have you, the owner has to rescue, you know, if you have to do it, if you have to jump in, massive clue. (laughs) (laughs) because right now that's probably not on most listeners' radar screens is something that needs to get addressed. I just listened to, what's his name's book, Upstream. Yes, Dan Heath. Thank you. It's great. You know, and you actually tell the story in the book, which is fun. But it's like, you know, if you're pulling kids out of the stream, you know, downstream, at some point you're like, who's throwing them in upstream? So what's the source of the problem? And solving those problems upstream is really what you're doing. And one of our tools for that is the experience transformer, which is what's the situation, what worked about it, what didn't, knowing what we know now, what will we do differently? And then what's our new strategies and course of action? So it's my favorite learning tool Mm. and it kind of (laughs) allows this process to happen. Jill just said, me too. (laughs) Me too. I love that tool. Yeah. I love the tool because it's non-judgmental. Yeah. The hardest part is when you say in that tool, what happened? It just states in fact, what happened? We had 14 people show up and a hundred tickets purchased. Like you can't say nobody showed up. No, you have to be like 14 people showed up. Yep. I love that tool, but you're just looking for the root cause. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great process for where more teaching and coaching needs to happen. Like that's just a massive clue. Then eventually you don't have to be in that position to rescue anymore. You know, now occasionally there'll be a circumstance, but the more thinking your team becomes and self-managing, the more self-managing your company becomes. And then there's less for you to do except for collaborate with new companies. I love it. All right. Oh my gosh. We could talk all day. So the last stage is return and reflect. So this is interesting because I suspect this is what really anchors the learning, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to hear you talk about it in the process that you suggest for people. When we talk about process, we think step. Okay. So what do I do next? Right. What do I do next? And this step is the easiest for the leader because all you need to do is just look at that person who just had the experience and say at the very simple level how did it go and then you just be quiet you're offering them a space to really think about what they just learned and there's this really cool thing that happens in our brain is when we talk about it your brain tags that piece of knowledge as important But when you sleep and it washes away all of the other stuff, like what you had for breakfast and what you wore yesterday and, you know, what time you need to pick the kids up from school, you know, when it washes all of those extra things away, it will keep that one thing if you have spoken about it because it runs it through this language part of your brain. So I like to just emphasize this point, the phrase that I have some leaders just write it down and remind themselves is experience without reflection will be forgotten. Mm. And it's so powerful. Experience is so important to us that we use it like the very first line of our job ads. 
five years experience required, 10 years of experience preferred, because we know if someone has been there and done that, then they can be here and do this for us. But your people have just gone through this great experience. Just make it count, make it stick so that it can serve them the next time around when they run into an issue as well. And all you got to do, there's a whole bunch of other things you can do too, but simply just ask them to talk about it. Just reflect. So I'm just going to say that again, because that's, everyone needs to write this down. (laughs) Remember this experience without reflection will be forgotten. That's right. So then you have to do it over again. Over again. In bad experiences, you really only want to do them once. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's interesting because we have this, I think we call it the learning cycle in strategic coach, which totally validates and matches what you're saying, which is you think about something, you write it down, you talk about it. Mm-hmm. and then go and do it. It's amazing. Even sometimes people aren't conscious of doing it and they come back to the next workshop after they've thought about it, written it down and talked about it. And they're like, oh, I did it. <laughs> you know, they'll look back at their list because it's in your brain. It's going to start adding to your good programming if you do it that way. I- so that reflection is so, so critical. I cannot stress that enough. I love that connection there, Shannon, because it's almost a subconscious thing. It just becomes a piece of data in our brain that our brain held on to. And sometimes we're not even aware that we're using that experience in the next solution that we're creating. Right. But you come back and look at it on purpose and go, oh, I really did that. I experienced that my very first quarter at Coach. Hmm. I remember... Christy asking me to reflect what I had accomplished the first quarter. And the front of my brain said to myself, oh, you haven't accomplished very much. You didn't do a very good job on this or on that. And when she had me write them all down, I looked at them and went, oh my gosh, I did it all. (laughs) I know. It's kind of incredible. And when we're not actually paying attention to it, we tend to assume the worst or assume the negative. And then you look at the real facts and you go, oh, holy mackerel. And just to stress how important this point is, you have a reflection section after each chapter. I did. You, Shannon, <laughs> I did that on purpose. I figured as much. <laughs> this is what I do. I did that for myself. I know Carrie Oberbrenner, he's my publisher. And he said, write the book for yourself. If you're getting stuck, write your book to your former self. I think he said that before. Yeah, Yeah, write the book to your former self if you're getting stuck. And I love to consume the books, right? Shannon, you send me books. You recommend books. We love that. And I just voracious. I want to listen and read. And then I just, did I read that somewhere? So I actually put that in there because I know that I need to pause and think about what did I just learn? I'm going to write it down. So that's become part of my reading habit now is sometimes instead of turning on a new podcast or turning on a new audible or buying that new book, I just sit with the one I've just finished and just reflect on it. And man, that just becomes so much more powerful. So I'm glad Mm. that Shannon. I will add that into my habits because I have exactly the same issue. I'm like, where did I read or hear it? We're in just that again. And we're going to wrap up in one second. But, you know, you talk about types of reflection sessions. So there's with yourself, there's with one person in a group, which is obviously what we do at Coach a lot. And it's just really powerful when you have that shared experience sometimes or, you know, I don't know, there's just something about it. So the more you can do that is fantastic. You also talk about teaching somebody else, which is a great way to do things. So there's just so many good things. Again, we could talk for hours about this amazing book. So let's just wrap up, Jill, because I know you have to get somewhere. So the thinking advantage, it is when you teach people how to think and then you coach them and then you don't rescue them unless it's an emergency. (laughs) But then you go back and they reflect again on what happened and what they can do differently next time. And then you really return and reflect. You really do empower people to use their brains. And I think there's a really important message that people still need to be reminded that we, especially in entrepreneurial companies, it may not be true in other types of organizations. I don't know. Although these days, I don't know how you can get away without using your brain. Whole other philosophical perspective. But in entrepreneurial companies, it's essential. We are adapting. We are changing. People have had to think more this year. So if people were in the habit of not thinking, you got woke up is how I think about it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) the world just went, slapped you upside the head a little bit. 
And we know people who didn't wake up. Mm -hmm. There always has been a massive opportunity with entrepreneurial companies to really be alert. You know, Dan would say alert, curious, responsive, resourceful, and to think. I think entrepreneurial companies provide this more than any other place I've found on the planet, in my experience. And then you've laid out the steps for how to coach and support people to do that. So it's kind of magical, in my opinion. (laughs) I love it. I love that word too. I love the word magical. So thank you. Thank you for using one of my favorite words. It's magical. It's magical. And I think Shannon, just to wrap this up, I love how Dan teaches us to be specific, be specific. And I sometimes think outside of the specific and I get general and I think about, you know, if we're creating thinkers in our company and we're pumping them out, right. And then they go home and they think, and then maybe they take a government, you know, an elected official position, but they know how to think. I've pondered on that a little while. Maybe a good entrepreneurial contribution to the whole is that we're teaching people to think and we're giving them this space to go out and use their thinking skills in other places as well. Well, and just think of our families, right? If we simply take this home and help our kids grow up this way, you know, our next generation will be much, much better equipped. Much, much better equipped. I agree. Awesome. Creating thinkers. Great. Love it. Then you and I get other really fun people to play with. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah, I love it. So Jill, if people want to get the book or want to connect more with you, how can they reach you, find you? How can they get more of your fabulous Advantage series books? Where are all things, Jill? So Amazon is our best friend these days. You can find all of the books on Amazon, The Thinking Advantage, The Courage Advantage, The Earning Advantage. Easiest way to find it is with the title and then my name, and then it should just pop right up. If you want to connect with me specifically, the best way to do that is on LinkedIn. And if you search for Jill Young, Texas, it comes right up there. There you go. But that's the best way to get a hold of me and to find the book. Perfect. And you have lots of great content on LinkedIn as well. So lots of good things. Well, Jill, thank you. Thank you for writing the book. Again, I strongly encourage everyone to go grab it. And don't just grab one copy. Grab them for everyone you want to be a better thinker. And especially if you're an owner listening to this, if you're a leader listening to this, I learned so much about what I was doing right, about what I could do more. And I consider myself to be a half decent thinker. So it's kind of interesting. It will validate a lot of what we're already doing well, but also supports you to be even better and how to encourage other people to do it too. So again, one of my favorite books I've read in a long time. So Jill, thank you for writing it. And thank you for having the conversation because I love talking to authors and how it brings the ideas to life and where the ideas came from. And I can't wait to hear about your next book too. So Jill, thank you. Well, thank you, Shannon. You're just my favorite thinking partner. I just love it. I love it. I can't wait for the day where we could do more of it, right? Me too. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon.